Well, good morning, everybody. I'm down here, not back up there where I normally am. So, uh, and this tub is really warm. That's awesome. I'm appreciative of that. Uh, for those of you that are somewhat OCD, don't freak out when I jump in the water. Uh, we've ordered in a special waterproof amphibious microphone, so I will not like mm, at any time during the morning. So you can just relax, take a big deep breath. Uh, before we dive into the word this morning, and then try to explain to you what exactly we're up to. Um, I want you to know that uh, this morning is the last weekend of one of our very, very special friends here at Christ the King. For the last four years, Colin Smith has been our tech director here at Christ the King, and we love Colin to death. See, there you go, right? Colin uh, is a bit of a technical genius, and he's taken the level of everything we do here at Christ the King to a whole new level. And a couple of months ago, uh, a, a small corporation from America known as Disney came uh, and knocked on Colin's door and said, would you come to Anaheim and work for us? And eventually, he'll be in Anaheim, and then he'll be in Shanghai and Paris and all over the world. I mean, literally. And uh, Colin's at the back, and we just want to say we love him. Awesome. Colin's also been uh, a next-door neighbor to my family, and we spend a lot of time together. Uh, more than friends, we are brothers and always will be. And I've appreciated you, bro. Glad that you have been here for this time and know Jesus is going to take you exactly where you need to be. And uh, we celebrate that with you today, even though we're going to be very sad when the Westphalia van pulls out of the parking lot and heads south towards California. So God bless you, bro. Love you, man. So this morning we are going to do something a little different than what we normally do, which is why I have this great big tub of water here right in front of us. And as we get ready to, to open the Word of God this morning, if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. And last night we had an opportunity to kind of open the Word together, and I want to do exactly the same thing, because uh, it may just look like a hot tub, but this is actually a holy place. And what makes it holy is what happens inside of this tub or tank, if you want to call it. And so we're going to transform it from a hot tub to a holy tub here in just a couple of moments. When people come into the waters of baptism, what they're really doing is they're saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus because Jesus was not ashamed of me. And he reached into my life and transformed me and changed me from the inside out. And so I'm going to celebrate and I, I have no problem going public with who God is. And so we're going to celebrate that today. And what I want to do is... Um, uh, I'm going to be very soggy by the time we are done this entire morning, but I would love to actually take you through a story of baptism so that you fully understand what is actually happening here. This is more than just getting people wet. This is a transformation of the human soul. So if you've got a Bible with you, Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be, and we're continuing in our series Chameleon because the guy that we're going to talk about this morning really was a chameleon of a different kind. And uh, we're going to have some awkward moments this morning when I read through the story, and you're just going to need to kind of work with that. And parents, if uh, you have small children with you this morning, I just want to reinforce again, we have great kids' environments, um, and you should put your children there, because otherwise, when they come in the big room and Grant uses words um, that they may not understand, you're going to have a real great time explaining that to them this morning on your way home from church. And good luck with the word eunuch. Uh, we're going to work on that one a little bit later on. So just saying... Acts chapter 8, started reading at verse 26. The Bible says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I want you to understand who Philip the evangelist is. He's exactly that. He's an evangelist. And I'm sure Philip at this point in his life was going, why in the world would God send me to that road? 
There's no people on that road. And if you're an evangelist, the one thing you want more than anything is you want people to actually share the story of Jesus with. And Philip being an evangelist, I'm sure at some level would have protested or at least appealed this decision. Like of all the roads leading out of Jerusalem, I'm probably not going to go on that one because this is the road that goes the desert route and ends up basically in Africa. So why in the world would I go that direction? There's nobody on that road. Everybody, if they're going to leave Jerusalem, is going to go out the north gate. That's the good way to go. There's not going to be anybody there, but uh, okay, God, if you tell me I'm supposed to go there and you think it's important enough to send me an angel to give me a map with directions, that's exactly where I'm going to go, and that's what happens. So verse 27 says, So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So if you want to know who this guy is, he's essentially the secretary of the treasurer. He is an important guy. And he answers to the queen of the Ethiopians, a lady by the name of Candace. Scripture tells us right away two details about this guy. It tells us his nationality, which makes perfect sense, right? I'd love to get to know who this guy is. He's from the beautiful land of Ethiopia. And if you've ever been there, it is a truly breathtaking, beautiful land. But then it gives us a second detail that I don't know about you, but as a guy makes me somewhat uncomfortable. It's a very intimate detail about his physical sexual capacity. I mean, why would the Bible share that? It seems a little private, don't you think? Well, there's no, there's no politically correct way for me to explain to you that this man, as a younger man, had been physically altered. Someone had taken something from him. His manhood had been taken away from him, if, of course, you only define manhood in a sexual sort of way, which I hope you wouldn't. But that's what the Bible tells us. It says that this man, at some point, had been crushed, literally, and his sexual capacity had been taken away from him. Not that he would have had any choice in the matter whatsoever. So as nice as I want to put it to you, as gently as I possibly can, this was a castrated man of influence. Aren't you glad you came to church for that? That's great, isn't it? Now why would they have done this to him? Two basic reasons. So he wouldn't be messing around with the queen at any time. Pretty good reason. And also because of the role that he had been in and the possible bitterness that would have come out of him because of what they did to him, he wouldn't have been able to have children that someday would be able to espouse a rebellion against the royal family. So they were basically making sure that this guy would just blend into the background and be silent, that he wouldn't stand out, that he would literally become a chameleon. He had the mark of culture left on him. The culture said it was okay for them to do that to him. And every single one of us in the room today at some level, we bear a mark of culture because that's how it works, right? Culture says if you go and do this, you're actually going to experience freedom. How many of us have discovered that when we followed the quote-unquote ways of the world, that the freedom that they promised actually ended up in bondage? We actually ended up as a slave, to this so-called freedom that we were supposed to have. And we ended up wrapped up in an addiction that had a hold of us and we had a hold of it. And now we struggle to let go every single day because the world said, this is going to make you feel good. This is going to actually make you, you're going to enjoy life more if you just do this. And then we find out that the whole thing is just a great big lie. So this man is sitting on the side of a road. That's where we find him in his story. The Bible says... That this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So it's interesting. He comes from Ethiopia. He has some kind of a, an interesting connection with God. Somehow he felt drawn to connect. Even though, even though God was not quote unquote. He was the God of Israel. 
doesn't mention Ethiopia anywhere there, but he had some kind of a connection. Some of you are experiencing that kind of a connection this morning. You have no idea why you came to church. You have no idea. It's like you got pulled in the front door. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe somebody connected with you somehow, but you're not really sure why you're here. You're not sure whether or not you fit or not. Can I tell you something? The messier you are around here, the more you fit. That's how it works. You know, it's amazing. He was felt drawn to connect, but the reality is, if he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship, he would have been rejected. In fact, he wouldn't have even been allowed inside of the court of the Gentiles, which surrounds the temple in Israel. You know why? Because there was an Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. I'm sure you've read this in your quiet time many, many times before. Uh-huh. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So if he would have showed up, everyone would have known exactly who he was, and they would have said, sorry, you're not allowed to come in here. The religious police would have put a hand out and say, you don't belong in this space. There's something wrong with you. He was a foreigner, an alien and a stranger, and that should bring a smile to some of our faces, because last week we learned that everyone that is a follower of Jesus at some level is referred to exactly the same way. Aliens and strangers, we don't really belong, because honestly, this is not our home. He was an outsider, and according to the old rules, he wasn't allowed in. He was just a little too messy for people. But somehow he got his hands on an ancient story that just kept pulling him in and drawing him in. Verse 28 says this. And on his way home, he was sitting in a chariot and reading the book of the Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. So he asked a question. He connects with him. Even though Philip's own culture would have said, you don't really talk to those kind of people, they're a little bit too messy. Instead, Philip ran the risk of connecting. He engaged in a conversation, even though it would have been hard, and he met him at the point of his spiritual need. If you're a follower of Jesus today, this is an unbelievable clue. We meet people at the place of their spiritual need, however that works. And we use that as a way of opening the door for a conversation. If your friend is hungry, you feed them. If they're lonely, you become a friend. If they have a question, you find an answer. Why? Because you want to open the door to further conversation. So Philip just asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Now, I think it's a fair assumption to believe that if he was reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, he probably read the first couple of verses too, right? I mean, I don't know many people that just open up a novel, pick a chapter and start reading. You normally start at the beginning, work your way towards the end. That's kind of how the story works best, right? So I believe he probably would have been somewhat conversant with what he had already read. And I wonder whether or not, as that unbelievably powerful official with his story of being crushed and broken by the very culture he was trying to serve, I wonder whether or not he'd found some really, really cool common spots as he was reading. I wonder if in the verses before, when he read the words about... The man who was being described in this passage, I wonder when he read the words, he had no beauty or majesty. I wonder if the Ethiopian official somehow connected because he felt a little ugly considering what the people had done to him. I wonder if he felt marked. 
I wonder if he really tasted the idea of rejection when he read the words from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. I wonder if his memory went back to just a few days earlier when he was trying to get in just to go to church. And a religious cop showed up and said, sorry, you don't get to come in here. You need to stay out. You don't fit. I wonder if he related to that little phrase as Isaiah 53 describes this man known as Emmanuel, God with us. I wonder if he related with the phrase he was familiar with suffering because this man knew exactly what it felt like to suffer. He'd lived through it. I wonder if he related to these two words as he read the beginning part of Isaiah 53. He was pierced, he was crushed. I wonder if he found comfort in the words from Isaiah 53. And by his wounds, we are healed. I wonder if there was something in his heart that said, I don't really know who it is that the Bible's talking about here in this particular place. But I think I get this guy's story. I think I understand just a little bit more. What he doesn't even know is the story of Jesus is touching the deepest part of his humanity. And if you're here today and you have had a personal relationship, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, you know exactly what that feels like because at some point what Jesus went through connects into your story. And it makes you feel accepted or at least understood. So they begin to read together. And we actually pick up because the Bible records in Acts chapter 8 what he was reading in Isaiah 53 So they read together and the connecting continues. And it says this from Isaiah 53. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he didn't open his mouth. I wonder in that moment if the Ethiopian official thought to himself, I remember what it was like when they gagged me and pinned me down and took something from me that they should not have been able to take. I wonder if he remembered what it was like to be silent as he screamed through the gag. He'd been suffering in silence for years. Because nobody really understood him. The connection continues. Verse 33, it says, In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. I wonder if in that moment this Ethiopian official says, I know humiliation. I experienced that. My manhood was taken by force and there was no one there to have justice for me. And my descendants can't cry out ever because they took away my ability to even have a descendant. You see how he's connecting all of the way through? All of these questions. And they just come pouring out of him. Verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who's the prophet talking about? Himself or somebody else? So his question is, is this Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Well, if you ever study the book of Isaiah, it's an Old Testament prophet and it's full of prophecy about a guy we know as Emmanuel, God with us. Philip answers the question. Verse 35, that Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. When I came to Jesus, I remember the words, Jesus understands. That's all I needed. For this guy, I'm sure Philip doesn't tell us what happens in the whole conversation. But I'm sure Philip was able to say, look, you need to understand, my friend. Jesus understands rejection. Jesus understands abandonment. Jesus understands what it feels like to be pushed to the side. Jesus understands suffering and silence. He understands the weight of injustice. Jesus understands what it feels like to be killed. 
Jesus understands wounds and pain. Jesus understands sin. Jesus understands death. But Jesus also understands life on the other side of death. Jesus understands what it feels like to come back alive again. Philip makes the connection for him. The man you're reading about is not the prophet Isaiah. The man you're reading about is Jesus. And he's the one that brought you and me together on this dusty desert road today. I'm sure Philip told him. He came in human form to buy you back. You sold yourself into sin and he bought you back. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And now we're having this conversation because he put us in this place. He rose again so he could redeem your story, remove that mark that culture has placed on you, forgive your sin and heal your heart. You know, we don't know when it went into the conversation about the good news of Jesus. I'm sure they talked about the cross. I'm sure they talked about the resurrection. I'm sure they covered a lot of material because somewhere along the line of all the things, baptism showed up. I mean, it just showed up in the conversation. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Listen to this question. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So somewhere along the line, Philip explained it to him. This is what happens. You accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior. That's your moment of salvation. And that's followed by a moment of obedience when you go public and you find water and when you go under the water, you're symbolizing that you are dead to sin, that you died with Jesus. And then when you come back up out of the water, you're symbolizing that you are now new and clean and washed. Though your sin be as scarlet, they will be washed as white as snow. And it's symbolizing that you're identifying with the resurrection of Jesus, that sin no longer has control over you, that you may still battle with your old man, but that victory ultimately has been won. So you go into the water, you go down dead. You come back up fully embracing what Jesus did through his resurrection, and then we celebrate. That's what he explains it to him. He says it to him, right? Now, some of you are noticing, if you're reading along in your own Bible, it says verse 36, that's what happens, and then all of a sudden it jumps to 38, and there's a little number 37 there, and there's nothing following it. If you're a good student of the Bible, you're like, what's up with that? Let me explain it to you. In some later manuscripts which most of our translations are not based off of. There's a little verse that shows up later on, but it wasn't in the original. Okay? Let me just read what was there. I'm not saying it's a part of the canon of Scripture. You know, I can explain that to you sometime. I'm just saying I think it's a unique part of the conversation. You'll probably find it down in a footnote at the bottom of your Bible if you're reading a good one. Some manuscripts say, Philip said. <laughs> Somebody found it funny. That's great. Awesome. Good. So some manuscripts say, Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. Here's some water. Why shouldn't I get baptized? What's holding me back? Well, if you believe in your heart, you can. The official answered, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Simple declaration. If you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Simple as that. Verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Do you get the picture? A marked and mutilated man is now marked by a man who was mutilated so that the debt of sin could be paid for everybody in the room on February the 21st, 2015 in Bellingham, Washington. How cool is that? That's an amazing gift, right? 
The man goes public with his complete acceptance of Jesus, the Messiah. And in going under the water, the man is screaming from his soul. I'm dead to sin, no longer controlled by the old nature, dead to everything that was stolen from me. And in coming back up out of the water, the man is screaming, I'm alive in Jesus, fully clean, fully restored. And the voice that was taken from me, my manhood is now screaming out, Jesus lives, Jesus saves. It's a beautiful picture of scripture, right? Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I love that question. Here's water. Why should you not be baptized? Do you know where I'm going with this one? You figured it out, right? What can stand in the way of you being baptized? We have a number of people in just a moment are going to come and stand across the front here. And we're going to pray over them because they were ready a week ago. They went through a baptism class. Guess what you just went through? A baptism class. And we're going to pray over them and we're going to baptize them. But I know for a fact that there are a bunch of people here in this room just like last night. And you didn't plan on getting baptized this weekend. (laughs) I guess Jesus had a different plan. Maybe it's time for you to surrender your day timer, put down your Palm Pilot if you still have one of those. You should probably drown that in the tank too. Anyway, just saying. (laughs) I watch when this happens every single time. What could stand in the way of me getting baptized? Some of you are thinking my pride could stop that. Can I say this to your pride with as much humility as I can? Get over it. Jesus died to kill it. All of our pride and all of our humility. So that we could become like he did. A servant king. Some of you are like, couldn't do that, Grant. You don't know my story. And why not have your shame covered? If Jesus isn't tracking it anymore, why are you? If he said your sins are washed away, why are you still holding on to them? Why not bury it once and for all? Some of you are like, well, my fear of people. Can I tell you something? The reason these people here are in this room is because they're for you. They'd love to cheer for you today. Because this is family. I don't have any other way to describe it. It's a messy, big, dysfunctional family, but it's a family. Here's water. What could possibly stand in your way? And I know you're thinking, I didn't bring any clothes. (laughs) The family of Christ the King bought you clothes. So you can be baptized and then get changed right back into where you came from. I don't want to get my hair wet. Really? The hair of our Savior was painted with blood so that you'd have an opportunity to be obedient. Well, Grant, I'm just not sure it's time. Now, that may be a valid reason. But I'm telling you, obedience doesn't have a timeline. It has a heart. So in a moment, this is what's going to happen. 
We're going to baptize the people that already went through the class. But I'm asking you, some of you are sitting here right now, I can see by the look on your face, you started having a conversation with the Holy Spirit about four or five minutes ago. And I'd just like you to encourage you, don't listen to me, listen to him. And if he's tapping you on the shoulder saying, today is the day, now is the time. In a moment when the folks come up here and we pray over them, I'm going to ask you to do something bold and courageous. Uh, There's a man standing over there in a spotlight by that exit sign. Pastor Frank looks very angelic in that light, doesn't he? Isn't that awesome? (laughs) In a moment, we're going to pray over these folks, and then I'm going to ask if you wanted to be baptized, because God said today's the day. Then I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and go to Frank. We're going to fill out a little bit of paperwork so that we're all ready to go, so we can get you a picture, because we'd love to take a picture of you as you're doing this. And then we're going to celebrate. So, Pastor Todd, will you bring those that are about to be baptized? And as they're getting set, I'm going to ask the rest of you, would you bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this moment. A moment of obedience. A moment of deciding whether or not I'm going to continue to chameleon. Whether I will boldly stand publicly and say, because Jesus was not ashamed of me, I am not ashamed of him. Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way today with those who are being called right in this moment? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said,